This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. This week is a real eye-opener. I came across the Tradesman Experience podcast, and after checking out their show, I knew I had to have them on for an episode. Their podcast is focused on developing leadership in the trades and business development. Nate talks about the journey of starting his business with Battleborn Welding and getting help from a coach, Josh, and documenting it all through their podcast. They also dive deep into the need for leadership leadership in the trades and Josh goes over what their toolbox feature is and what exactly coaching entails when he works with small business owners. Before we jump into the episode, we have a quick message from our good friend Dabs Wellington. Dabs, do you want to tell us a little bit about this competition that you have going on? Absolutely. It is our fourth annual high school seniors stick welding competition at American Welding Academy. We're located in Union, Missouri. The uh, festivities will be starting off. God, I'll probably be there from 4 a.m. Doors are going to open between 6 and 8. 8 o'clock, we'll have our first group of students starting. We're going to have four flights running throughout the day. So uh, that's going to leave us enough room for about 200 competitors. So there is limited space available for this, but I've been traveling through the entire Midwest trying to get high school seniors and drum up interest for this. It is an incredible opportunity to win a pipe welding course tuition paid. It's our way of bribing high school seniors with a $1,000 scholarship to come out and check out our beautiful facility. At this event, February 4th, you can win a $1,000 scholarship to a welding program over at American Welding Academy just for entering. To find out more about registration and info about the competition, head to awaweld.com. Would y'all like to introduce yourself to the audience just in case they're not familiar with your podcast? My name is Nate, one of the owners of Battleborn Welding based out of Maryville, Nevada. We do structural steel and ornamental iron. I was a pipeline welder. We did large diameter water transmission lines for about 12 years. I was on and off there at the end as we were starting our welding business. But I saw a lot of cool places doing that job. We went anywhere from Northern British Columbia to Southern California to New York. And just about everywhere in between, we got bounced around. We built a lot of TBMs, did a lot of uh, pen stocks. We spent some time up in Northern British Columbia. We were putting in large diameter water transmission lines over a mile underground in Vancouver, doing a treatment facility up there. So I've seen some places on the face of the planet that uh, mankind was never really intended to see. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was a cool job, but it was time to settle down. And you made a lot of money, but you were homeless. Yeah. out of hotel rooms and whatnot. And how about you, Josh? Josh Hewitt, founder of the Tradesman Experience. I've been in the trades my entire life. I picked up a hammer for the first time when I was about three years old, and I really haven't put one down a lot since. I spent almost 20 years in the HVAC industry. I've been in and around construction my whole life. Uh, I felt like I should have went first. Your story is way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I built a reputation on the complete opposite spectrum of what Nate was talking about. I grew up in a small town in Southern Illinois built my reputation there, built my first company there and lived there until I was 38. And that's when I made the relocation out here to Nevada because my brother is business partners with Nate at Battleborn Welding. So he was already out here. They were already established. 
Not very well. Well, they were. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I've been getting paid to work in the trades for, shut up, Nate, 30 years. That is some tradesman experience, if you know what I said. That's who we are. We we started the Tradesman Experience podcast in January of 2020. Really just on a mission to bring more respect and awareness to the trades. That's a hard thing to do, just because I feel like right now everyone's been led down this path of go to college, get your business degree. There'll be a job waiting for you. And Mm -hmm. then everyone gets out of college and there's wait, there's no jobs. And I've seen a lot of people later in life transitioning into the trades because they went the college route, couldn't find any work, and then went to a trade school for a year and making way more than they ever would have made with that degree in the first place. Yeah. I mean, especially a lot of the stuff like if you're dumb enough to go get a liberal arts degree or something like that, it's like, come on, be a little, if you're going to go at least do something proper. And I personally, I believe that 70% of the people going into college have no real intent on being there. They're there to get fucked up and party. And they'll, they're just trying to appease their parents at that point, trying to open up these avenues for these kids to get into the trades and get into most of the time. They don't even need to go to a trade school. Yeah. A lot of the companies are so desperate, they'll hire them and train them. If you if you have the ability to go out into the market and work, this plumber's making $100,000 a year. Like, that's good money. And when I was pipeline, I think my best year was almost a quarter million. Like, it, there's really good money to be made there. Did we have to spend money to make that money? Yeah, you got to maintain. Your, I had my own rig. I had my own welding machine. had to maintain all that stuff. Bought my own consumables. But that's a really good living, especially yeah. when you're 25. I... I don't know where all that money's at now. It's <laughs> gone. But, but we also did get financial training. And that's something that Josh and I talk a lot about on the podcast is like, hey, do smart shit with your money. Reinvest in yourself. That's been a big thing that Josh, if you want to give him that whole rundown on the third option, like I really like that view you have on it. Yeah, we're in complete agreement with you that often people are pushed down the traditional path of education instead of vocation. And if you look at the hierarchy of it, it's college, military, and then the skilled trades. Often people either fall to or migrate to the skilled trades when college either doesn't pay off or doesn't work when they get out of the military or they're in reform, right? They're out of prison and they're trying to do things better. We end up with this kind of bucket of trying to capture overflow. So ultimately it becomes a third option. And by the time you get to the third option, nobody's really talking about it. Yeah. Nobody's sharing opportunities, educating people on the ideology of hands-on. Every time I see something on social media about, oh man, I was doing a construction job and then I learned drop shipping and now I work (laughs) for my computer and I just want to strike them in the throat because there's absolutely no need to be negative towards the trades to try to promote another option. Yeah, that's been, if you go back to the 1990s, most of the trades when they were depicted in film or TV, it's a bunch of guys whistling at a hot girl walking by the construction site. It never looked like a glorious job. Mm -hmm. And now we're feeling the effects of that because all of the skilled trades are in a huge deficit for workers. So trying to change people's view on the trades, like that's a huge passion of mine just because when the pandemic happened, the music industry was just decimated. And Mm -hmm. all of my friends, I got, I went into welding and just thrived because I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love Mm -hmm. welding. There's so many opportunities. And I tried to spread it to all my friends out there that are just floundering. I'm like, hey, you could go take a class or two and probably get the skills to go land a job in a fab shop or something, something that's never Mm going to 
shut down and you're always going to have a job. No, so that's one of those things that people lean on when they talk about the trades. They're like, oh, we're going to get replaced by robots or something's going to come along and replace you. People have a really bad outlook on the technology that's being integrated into the industry. But if you look at it with the right lens, that stuff is there to make your job easier. It's yeah. there to help you. Somebody's still got to run that equipment. We're just changing the method in which we get things done. But somebody's still got to be there. They don't, you don't just pull, push a button and the house is built. You, know? <laughs> you don't set it, forget it, come back a week later right. and have a whole new line of, of cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- and the custom market's huge. Most of, a lot of the stuff, we do a lot of uh, custom homes. So it's a lot of big steel, a lot of ornamental iron. That stuff, you can't get a robot to go figure that shit out for you, you know, yeah. and be mobile on a site. Yeah, mass production, that's one thing. But nobody wants to do mass production anyway that job sucks yeah but there's plenty of opportunities in the custom world yeah custom fabrication that's what i went into like when i was going through school i was working at a fab shop and then i started picking up just custom fab jobs because i've worked in bars played in bars and bars always need something either fixed or they need something Mm -hmm. to fit into a small awkward place and Mm -hmm. you can't just go on amazon and be like i need something that's going to be 13 and a half by 25 and three quarters it's like you can't find things like that so if you have the skills to do that Mm -hmm. people will pay a premium price for it when you come down to like sales all you're doing is fulfilling a need and that's what we're doing with that's what we're doing with welding and trades in general it's like people need this work done and Mm -hmm. if you could do it you could make some money you could make a living yeah josh you guys is troubleshooting in the hvac industry you guys ended up having onboard diagnostics on the equipment right that would help you guys along the way. And if anything, that was beneficial to you, right? It made your job better, not worse. It made the job better. It definitely made it better on viewer troubleshooting or being technical support. You had a technician on site, accessibility to the information remotely. There were a lot of things that they were coming out when I was getting out of that industry that was going to do exactly that. It was going to complement our position not eliminate it. And I feel like that's a lot of what's happening in the welding world. Keep saying that robots are going to replace you. It's No, they're just going to replace the jobs that nobody really wants to do. But they still (laughs) need someone that knows how to do that job to tell a machine how to do it. That machine isn't just magically, oh yeah, I've seen this joint a thousand times. I got this. It's like, you still need someone that understands the process of welding and fabrication to program a robot. But there's Mm -hmm. also these small robots called cobots now that if you have a fab shop or a small shop and you don't want to hire a helper, you can buy one of these machines if you want to make an investment in it and you can set it on your table and it's just a helper. You still Mm -hmm. have to show it what to do, but it's all about increasing production. It's not about decreasing the jobs out there. That's the thing is that we all have to be accountable to ourselves to bring as much value to these trades as possible, to bring as much intelligence as we can. Because that's one of those things that really bugs us a lot about this is that we're looking at just being dumb. Yeah. And so if you look at the amount of hours that get invested into being a master fabricator, into being a master HVAC tech, we've surpassed people with medical doctors. (laughs) And we have to know so much shit. Josh, you have to know hydraulics and electrical and... Plumbing. Plumbing and all this other shit. All this stuff, we got to know to not die while you're welding. Like <laughs> yeah. air, airflow. Yeah, right. Line voltage, low voltage controls, DC, solid state. Now, Bo, you said something I'd like to circle back to before we get too far away is 
with your podcast that you're talking about bringing awareness to the trades and you referenced the 90s of mm -hmm. how the trades were portrayed in the 90s. And I think where we have to start to be able to increase that awareness is to improve ourselves first. We have to overcome the stigma that we've allowed to be placed upon us. But that stigma has been placed upon us for a reason. And yeah. if you look at the standard behavior of low-functioning tradespeople, that's what's amplified in the public eye. That's how we all operate. Yeah, and look at that instead of the company that does $10 billion a year in large roadway construction and high-rise buildings and stuff like that. When they want to think about the trades, they think about that dude in a busted-ass van yeah. with, some, with <laughs> yeah. a Sharpie written down the side of it says, handyman, spelled wrong. Yeah, and so I think one of the best ways to bring people into the trades is to attract people into the trades, but we're only going to do that by changing our behavior first. So you're going to have to increase pay, which our current state of economy has really kind of skewed that because right now anybody can write their own ticket, whether they are skilled or not. Yeah. So that's creating a bit of distortion in the success of the trades. But people, they need to get up to date with just how businesses operate. It does. It's not like the 80s and 90s anymore. There's a lot of evolution that needs to happen within these companies that are operating in the skilled trades and standards being one of those evolutions. Mm. Standards of behavior, expectations. If you expect more, you're expected to pay more. So you have to set up an opportunity that's going to attract higher quality people. And I think that's a one of the best places that we can start with the people that are currently in the trades. First of all, stop wearing a cutoff t-shirt with <laughs> army boots, cutoff blue jeans, and a fucking Fu Manchu, and then complain because the next generation doesn't want to come work for you. We've got to start there. Yeah. yeah. You can tell that dude hasn't showered in three fucking days. It smells <laughs> yeah. like it. You're working right next to him. Like, But I think, especially if you look at a Battleborn Welding, like we take all this stuff that, because Josh is a coach, of course, he does uh, for businesses, for leadership. And uh, I think that's been the biggest suck on the whole industry has been the lack of leadership also. The guy wants to come out throwing shit and having a temper tantrum. Nobody wants to work for that. But, like we showed up to a job site the other day and the crew's got 40s stuffed in the snow for when they get done with their shift. That, that's not our crew. That was some other crew that was there. I'm going to clarify that. Yeah. If it was them, they would have been hitting the head with the bottles. So. Yeah. Yeah. But having those standards, but having the leadership to drive those standards, that's so necessary to attract the higher performing individuals into these trades. Because like you said, we don't want the bums and the assholes and the guys that can just barely swing a fucking hammer. That's not where I want to be. Well, and that's a thing that I like about your podcast is the way that you are constantly pushing people to take responsibility for themselves, to actually invest in their business and trying to put people in this kind of winning mindset. Can you talk a little bit about with your coaching aspect of when you go and talk to businesses? Like, how do you help people realize I need to take this serious to make real money? I need to, like, make this ad actual business, not just play pretend. So most business owners don't own a business. They own a job. And as Nate has shared, that's where they were three years into their business. The perception that you can buy a truck, you can buy tools, you can fabricate a decal or some level of decal and then go out into the market and do work. That The perception that that is owning a business and so false that it creates this pretend, the word that you said, it creates this pretend of owning a business every day. With the coaching, my responsibility is to develop the individual because here's what I can tell you about every company. Every business is a direct reflection of the owner. So if you are really good at welding and you suck at finances, your business is going to struggle financially. If you 
are really good at accounting, but can't build a house, you're going to understand how to sell and be profitable. But when it comes to the hands-on work, so every company is a direct reflection of the owner. When I work with these business owners, I tell them, I said, look, because of that principle, my responsibility is to develop you, which you're really good at your craft. So let's figure out what it is that you're not that great at. A lot, I think a lot of guys come in and they expect Josh to go in and fix all their problems for them with their teams. <laughs> They're like, oh, fix my team. My team's fucking up. And Josh is like, yeah, they are because of you. You're the one that has to be dealt with because the moment Josh leaves, it's on your fucking shoulders to be the leader of that team. Not to be a boss, but to be a leader. A leader. Yeah. And changing that mindset of going from a boss to a leader or a manager to a leader and really pulling them out of the weeds, right? That 30,000 foot view. Where do you want your business to go and where is it going? And do those two things a lot? Typically not. Typically not. <laughs> if you have people in your company, team members or employees, if you choose, what are they doing? What direction are they going? And the things that they want and they're doing, does it align with what you want with your business? So my experience is the first two or three meetings that I have with every client is like this overflow mouth vomit. All of this information's pouring out. We're sifting through issues because I want to know what's the priority. Where's the biggest pain point? I want to identify the one or need of that client because I want to know what's the one thing that we can do now that's going to take the least amount of effort or expense that's going to give us the fastest result. Because what I want to do is I want to start developing momentum. If you want to help someone change their mindset, put them in a position of momentum. As soon as you start generating results, people get excited. And now you can compound those efforts into other areas of the business, of their life. But I will tell you one thing, every single coaching that I do at least once ends up in a life coaching session. Oh yeah. yeah. Every single time. I mean, that I feel like that is a lot of people's problems is that they might be, like you were saying, they might have a business, but really they just have a job. Training the person to take ownership, I feel like a lot of people just sit around and wait for things to happen, not even just as business owners, musicians. You just think one day someone's going to find me. I'm going to get discovered. Yeah. And I feel like people run businesses the same way. They're just like, I have this business and people are just going to find me when they need the services. No, you have to find them. Running a business is one of the fucking hardest things you'll ever do. Especially doing it correctly is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And coming out of the trades, we all got really good at a skill. And so we thought the value lied in the skill. We <laughs> just assumed that we we're like, fuck it. We know how to do this. I don't fucking need you to show somebody else to be over the top of me. And then you get out in the real world and you start trying to run this business and you have no idea what you're doing. You don't know how to sit through contracts. You don't know how to deal with insurance. You don't know how to set up vendor relationships or lead a team. And it's one of the most stressful things to do if you don't have any guidance. Like what Josh provides, the value that he brings to the table, this is beneficial across the entire industry. This isn't just about helping out that one business. This is creating higher standards across the board that once other people work with us, they're like, dude, these other guys, up like because we actually communicate we're proactive we get out in front of things josh teaches us you how to get up to that thirty thousand foot view and actually look at your business as it's this living breathing entity that needs to be taken care of it's not just an atm machine which a lot of people view it that way and so i was looking at your website tell me more about the toolbox because i feel right. like this is something that would be really beneficial to we have a lot of people that own their own small businesses or they want to get into it i was looking at the toolbox and i was like man this this looks like something that'd be super beneficial. I appreciate you asking about it. And I really appreciate that observation. And I started laughing as soon as you brought it up because the toolbox is 
the single most underused element of the tradesman experience. Everything that we do, everything that we offer, it is the most underused piece. So what I have done is I've created a video library of topic-specific trainings. For example, there's a 15-minute video on how to interview. My goal with the toolbox is all of the videos are 15 minutes or less because I understand my audience. Attention <laughs> span is a thing of the past. We're talking we about the have, 90s. We all have ADHD. Yeah. yeah. So they're all 15 minutes or less and they're topic specific. There's another video in there of how to design, develop, and implement systems in a company. There's one how to properly fire or offboard, as we call it. So it is set up to be literally a library where people can choose. Just they can go through and pick what they want that's applicable to them. It's $25 a month. It's a subscription-based library. It's $25 a month per company, not per person. So if it's a single owner operator or 100, the price is the same. And you have unlimited access to that information. It's also built and designed to help implement team meetings or team huddles. So you have your company together, you show a 10-minute video on systems development, and then you watch a 10-minute video, and then you can have a 30-minute conversation with your team on how you can implement that into your company. What are systems that we really need to develop around here? What are things that we can create and implement that's going to set us up for better success, allow us to operate more efficiently, improve our levels of communication? So the toolbox is literally an entire box of tools <laughs> for small business owners. And that's why we call it that is for them to go in and get these specific topics and pieces of information that's going to allow them to function. At the end of the day, if you're not having team meetings once a week about the direction of your company, you're really fucking up. If nothing brings us all together and gets us on board and have the same direction and view if we don't know what everybody else is thinking. So these weekly meetings are, dude, they're awesome. We have them every Monday morning. It starts a week off on the right foot. Everybody's got buy-in and skin in the game. They're great. I feel like meetings develop a sense of camaraderie. I write music for a company called Songfinch, and I've been writing for them for years and years. And it wasn't until this year they started just having like news meetings where they would do a live stream telling about new things in the company, answering questions. Just that alone, you know, it, it's all online. I've never been to the office, never done anything like that. But just watching those, it made me feel like I was part of the company. And I feel like when you're touching base with your fellow workers, or people that are working for you, if you're asking them questions, it develops a sense of ownership in the company. You're all working towards the same thing at that point. So you were talking about success. Success in a bunch of people's minds is different. How do you gauge success of a business? So if I were to answer that question from my position of working with other companies, I think that success is dictated by the quality of relationship that they have with their company. That's a good sense of success. Would you like being there? every day because if you like being there every day and you, en you enjoy this business it's going to be prosperous it's going to make you money the, like all the, the money the all the equipment all that stuff that's all just a byproduct of you actually having a good relationship with your business and that means you have a good relationship with your teams a good relationship with your vendors good relationship with your clients all of that compounds together and yeah i love going to work like i enjoy the shit out of running this business there's days where i just get absolutely kicked in the mouth and I would get pummeled and I'd show up the next day and I'm like, all right, what do we got to do to change this? How do we move forward? But it's never, a, the game's never over because giving up on this is not an option. I love this thing too much. But if you'd like, I'll explain to you why that's my definition. Go ahead. I believe that your relationship with your business is so often give and take. And so many business operators and owners, they, they function in this relationship of give and take, which means 
they give and the business takes, right? And it becomes a very one-sided toxic relationship that results in burnout, closing the business, disrupting the market, hiring and firing the wrong people. So it becomes this toxic wheel of unhappiness. When you change from give and take to give and receive, and you're in control of the relationship that you have with your company, now you're able to dictate that quality because your company can only give you two things, time off and money. That's all your business has to give you. Yeah. So if you are in a point in that relationship where you can receive those two things, then you have a give and take relationship. You have to understand the quality of the relationship that you have with your business. You have to understand what you give and what your business is willing to receive. And you have to understand what your business will give and what you're willing to receive. And the financial part always comes up in conversation because usually by the time somebody gets to me, they've been humble. They're in a really, I want to say, vulnerable state mentally and emotionally in this relationship with their company in the market. So I really don't deal with, I, don't, I haven't dealt with an ego problem yet because I get to pick and choose my clients. And like you said, by the time they get to me, they're looking to change themselves. That was absolutely us. We were in fucking shambles by the time we got to them. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, dude, we might have to go back to pipeline and I don't want to do that. I'm really interested in that. Can you explain a little, because there's a lot of people that might be in the same position you were in. Can you mm. describe what that what you're talking about there? Yeah. So like I said, we made killer money chasing pipelines all over the place and we wanted a change in lifestyle. And so we didn't even know what we were going to do. We just knew that we were going to start. We knew that we had a skill set. So we're just going to start a fucking business. And yeah. so we went out, filed for an LLC, bought a computer, I guess. We didn't know what to do with it, but we bought one. <laughs> And we got QuickBooks and whatever. And luckily, my wife at the time, she was helping us get the book set up and all that. We didn't know anything about marketing. We didn't know anything about overhead. We didn't know anything about expense, P&Ls, all this other stuff that goes along with it. We're just doing work for money. I yeah. love this trip down memory lane because yeah. yeah. I've got so many stories from you guys rolling through my brain right now. Yeah. But I got to a point where we were smart enough to know that we weren't doing well, to know that this wasn't sustainable. And Josh came in one day and uh, he was still living in Illinois at the time. I'd only met him once before. And he came in here and started asking me all these stupid fucking questions about direction of a business. And how are you going to afford this? And I'm just like, what? Am I supposed to be thinking about this? And he just shakes his head. I'm like, God damn it. When we were any given point, when we started Battleborn Welding, we were three weeks away from bankruptcy at any given point. We didn't know how to pay ourselves. We didn't know how to receive from the business. We were taking the most minimal amount of money out of it that we possibly could, thinking that that's what's going to propel us forward. But you go from making $250,000 a year to $30,000 a year. Yeah. That's a huge lifestyle change. You that's start getting jump. better real fucking quick. But that's also just part of how that goes. You're going to have to understand that you're going to take it in the face a bunch when you first start a business because there's all these little nicks and knacks that you got to learn as you go. But ask for fucking help. Talk to the people that run businesses and ask how to do this kind of stuff. Call Josh. That dude, the consultation's free. Like he's not going to charge you for that first conversation. But I'll tell you right now that the single greatest thing we did for our business was hire a coach because we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. There's there's only so many things in life that you can fail your way forward and actually make it. The way we were failing, we weren't going to make it. And so luckily, we were smart enough to look for help and ask somebody, put your fucking ego to the side and realize that's not your area of expertise. And you've got to talk to other people to make it your area of expertise. That comes back to even when you're starting to weld, if you just picked up a stick welder, like you got a buzz box out of your grandpa's shed and just started going to town with some stick electrodes, you're not going to be good. You're yeah. not. It's not going to happen. 
But that is a great fucking analogy, though. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. We ran into grandpa's garage and just picked up a welder. Surprised we didn't kill ourselves in the process. Yeah. But until you had someone that could guide you on how to make a good weld, you're not going to make a good weld. Same mm-hmm. thing with the business. Until you learn how to actually run a business and everything, there's so much that goes into it. And it's hard to people do go to school to study business, to learn how to run it. People like you that are, you're a coach that helps people get these things under their belt in a manageable way, that's invaluable asset to have to your business. They were in business for three years before I was invited to be a part of their team. And that's how I explained my relationship with my clients. I said, don't look at this as coach and player. I want you to look at this as I'm a part of your team. So the decisions I'm going to help you make, the strategies that we're going to create, the difficult conversations we're going to have, my interest is you. I'm looking out for your best interest. So I'm part of your team. And that's how I treat my clients. And you know, so they had been in business for three years. Mind you, my brother is his business partner. My brother was also part of my HVAC company back in Illinois. So he knew that I had the capacity to help. But Nate says, you want people want to be able to, they get so wrapped up in the concept of being self-made, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to ask for help because ego is driving. And in the, the most difficult, actually the hardest part of the whole coaching is asking for the coaching. Once you get over yourself and you invite someone to share an outside perspective blended with their experiences, knowledge, and information and apply it to you in a way that you can plug it into yourself, your business, and your team. Man, all of that stuff starts to generate some pretty amazing results pretty fast. Yeah. Here's the thing. I haven't met a single motherfucker that's self-made. Yeah. Not a single one. Everybody got help from somebody somewhere along the line. There ain't nobody that did it all by themselves. You know, and the, the faster you learn that, the more successful you're going to be. Resistance is usually the quickest way to success. Like the things you resist the most are usually the things that you need to work on the most as well. Oh, pick a harder path. <laughs> Until you have someone say to your face, no, this is not working. This is not right. You could do better at this. It's just like a weird psychosomatic thing where until you have someone say, hey, you need to get your finances in order, then someone's like, I guess I do need to get my finances in order. It's weird. Yeah, that's a beautiful part about what Josh says, though. He gives you bite-sized chunks to deal with. So he takes all your problems in and he's like, okay, where are we going to start? Where do we need to focus? And then he gives you the uh, breakdown of like, you need to handle this part. These little homework assignments every week that you go out and you're like, oh, this stuff is actually pretty fucking easy to figure out and it's not the hardest thing in the world but when you're looking at it as the one big pile of problems it's overwhelming so josh is just like handing you little bits here and there for you to go ahead to go deal with it's like meal prep <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> so with your podcast how did the concept of your podcast come up was it just one day you're like hey we should just start chatting or like how did it come about Great question. The podcast was an incubation for almost three years. So it was not a knee-jerk reaction. It was not an overnight idea. I had created the idea back when I had my HVAC company because I realized the things that we were doing, the things that I was going out and learning and coming back and implementing to our business and the success that we were seeing from it, I thought everybody in the trades needs to know these things, except there was nobody working specifically with trades companies. The conferences I were going to were corporate-based and finance-based and everything but the skilled trades. So I had this idea because I had found podcasts back in 2012 when Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan existed. Outside of that, it was slim pickings. Yeah, there's no Jocko Willenick. There's no... No, you know, now it's a huge, awesome platform. So I kept this 
close to the chest for about three years. And then after moving out here, we were having a conversation about it one time. We had all went to a Tony Robbins event together, Nate, Matt, and myself. And I was just kind of sharing this idea. And Nate being Nate invited himself to be <laughs> <laughs> to, to be a, a be more of the hosts on the show. Not the star of the show. Actually. Okay. All right. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And at first I was very reluctant because I knew what I wanted this to be. And I was very selfish with it. So we had several conversations yeah. about it. And because what I wanted to do and how the impact that, that I wanted this show to have, I knew that our behaviors had to be in alignment with that. And the type of people that we were and were building to be had to be in alignment with that. And now, looking back, it's hilarious to think <laughs> that I was going to do this by myself because all the experiences and the conversations that I've had over the almost three years of the podcast, the dynamic that Nate brings to the show and his perspective and experience only complements what I was trying to do with this thing. I think one of the coolest parts about the dynamic we have is that if you go back to episode one, we have just become contractors. Yeah. Don't go back yeah, to episode no, one. So <laughs> bad. So bad. The cool part is that I'm just proof of the pudding along the way. Everybody's had a chance to listen to me put all my shit on display, where I fuck up, where things have gone right. And they've gotten to watch us build this business, not only our business, Battleborn Welding, but also the tradesman experience and all the shit that he's done. It's an evolutionary thing. We're not coming in here telling everybody that we know exactly how to do everything. We're not a fucking guru. We're a conduit for a lot of all the different shit we take in. And it's, it's, like, it's almost like reality TV, I guess. And it's like, oh, we got to see that this didn't work. And hey, maybe you should be paying attention to this. And hey, this is the hardest part of dealing with people. And it's a, it's like interactive, pretty much. And I have the most bullshit on display, of course, because I, <laughs> I fucked up a lot. And we're building a structural steel company after we came out of the pipeline industry. So there was a lot of shit to learn. But it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been grateful for the whole thing because this holds me accountable, too. I come on here and say whatever stupid shit. And then if I'm not following through on the shit that I'm saying, people are like, hey, dude. Hey, you that? said you're going to do this. Yeah, you got to Put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and your dynamic, what you were all saying, your dynamic together is you're very different personalities. And it is <laughs> like being in the podcast world, retention is huge. Like everybody, it's all about keeping people listening and having two separate, very different personalities. You're very different. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, we are well aware. Very aware <laughs> but you also say things that are like very straightforward. Like a lot of the advice you give, People will beat around the bush being like, you might want to do that. And you're like, no, quit lying to yourself. These type of things where it's just like straightforward advice. And I like that about it. And I feel like that's something that not a lot of people do these days. There's a lot of sugar coating. Yeah, but that's one of the greatest parts about our time that we've spent in the trades. You know, I've been at it for 17 years. He's been at it since the 1800s. So it's, uh, we weren't privileged to that. You know, when we got into the trades, it was like, you might catch a fucking wrench to the side of the head if you want to act or, you know, it was like, you be direct because nobody's wasting time out here. Coming from that, I'm grateful that I got to grow up in the trades the way that I did. I started when I was 20 pipelining. So it was do or don't. You're working with a bunch of roughnecks and people that really aren't going to take much shit. You either be straight up or somebody's going to catch the wrong idea. If you start beating around the bush, they're going to start making their own ideas of, up of what you're trying to say. 
Yeah. And they don't like that. But So with your business, this must be an awesome just time capsule of growing your business. When you're trying to scale a business, what are your steps of scaling a business? Scale yourself first. You have to have the mental capacity to take it on before you step into it. You got to realize that you're not going to know everything. You got to realize that you're going to have a lot of shit you got to learn how to do on the fly. And I think that's where a lot of people fail with it is that they feel like they have to know everything before making a leap anywhere. And customer relations, the client relationships and your team relationships are the two things that will propel you forward the most. If your team's able to execute on the work, then you can go after more work. But if you have really good relationships with your clients, they're going to go out and run and tell everybody about how fucking awesome you are. And especially in that contracting world, it's tight knit. The guys that are actually worth the shit, they all talk to each other and they keep themselves distant from the guys that aren't worth the shit. You know, so if you can find those good pockets of people and find out which companies are doing the right work, taking care of their subcontractors and their vendors and all that, those are the guys you want to do business with. And they're going to help propel you forward. They're going to help scale you up. What about you, Josh? Let me ask you a question. What's the golden rule of business? I don't know. What is the golden rule? People don't remember what you did, but they always remember how you made them feel. If people took that one piece of information and plugged it into the operation and culture of their company, it would completely transform everything they do in the marketplace. People don't always remember what you do, but they always remember how you make them feel. So your question to scaling a business is the first question you have to ask yourself is what is it that I want to be known for? So you need to identify your market and you need to identify how you want to be perceived or be known in that market. Another question you have to ask yourself is, what is it that I need to say no to? That's a hard thing for people to do. It's a very hard thing. I and still struggle. <laughs> if you understand it, just the basic operating overhead expense of your company, you know what your break even or what I call survival number is every day. That right there should help you identify the things you need to say no to. If you're going to pay to do a job, you don't need to be doing it. So you have to understand what is it that you need to say no to. So outside of financially, you have to say no to the things that don't align with what you want to be known for in the market. And I'm not talking about creating such a narrow scope of identity. I'm talking about understanding the lane that you're wanting to build, right? It's aim small, miss small kind of thing. But what lane do you want to create in the market? You know, welding, as you guys know, covers a vast variety yeah. of work, yeah. okay? And then, and this was a question that I went through with Matt and Nate a couple of years ago because the company is called Battleborn Welding. And so I said, all right, you have a welding company. What is it that you want to be known for? And they came back and said, we want to be a structural steel company. I said, okay, being a structural steel company doesn't limit you from choosing other types of work, but it provokes you to go after that type of work. So what is it that you want to be known for? What is it that you need to say no to? And now you've got to look at operations of the business. What is it that's stealing your time? So every time I talk with leaders, there's four boxes that they need to write down. There's four, four lists or four areas. One is not are non-negotiables. What are the things that you and only you can do in the business. Now, I'm gonna just a quick side note here. I understand a lot of small business owner operators wear multiple hats. I get that. This principle, that's not an exception to the rule. Okay. I understand that you've got to do sales, you've got to do the work, you've got to do inventory, you've got to do ordering. I get that. And that time ownership is another conversation, but you have to be able to look at the systematic operations of the business. So your first list are what are the non-negotiables? The things that you and only you can do. The other three lists are 
you either need to automate it, delegate it, or eliminate it. If it does not fall under the non-negotiable, you need to automate it, delegate it, or eliminate it. So this is where you start looking at systematic operations in a business. See, I don't sell anything that's plug and play, but one of the companies that I work with is Field Pulse. Field Pulse sells a plug and play management system. It's a software company, and they are tailored for small businesses in the skilled trades with 30 people or less. It gives you the opportunity to do time cards, job costing, scheduling and dispatching, invoicing, proposals. It's an all-in-one inclusive package. That's a system that you need to invest in, a system like that, that's going to allow you to operate more efficiently. So that falls under the automation. I think that list that you have them do too, that's something that needs to be revisited every six months at minimum, because that list is going to change. And I think that especially when it comes to scaling a business, one thing you really have to be cognizant of is the way, how rapidly things will change. That you're going to outgrow your systems very quickly. Think Something that worked three months ago, well, let's say you had a crew of two people and now you're at a crew of six. Those systems are going to fall apart almost instantly. Mm-hmm. You really got to tailor it to having more people. And it took us and, you know, Josh would tell us and tell us that hey, you need to revamp your systems. And we're like, fuck, we don't have time for that. But then we would spend all of our time trying to chase down information. So once we adjusted our systems, like whether that was job tracking or material ordering or whatever, however it went down, once we adjusted the systems, you know how much fucking time opened up for us? It was like, oh, we weren't that busy. We were just doing dumb shit. Yeah, we were just getting in our own way. Exactly. The last part of that, too, is to understanding scaling the business, a definition that I heard one time. What is the best way to grow your business with the least amount of investment? So how can you compound the right things in your business that you're already doing? So I think it's important to understand what scaling a business is. I also look at external and internal. So I define it as growth and expansion. Growth is internal, expansion is external. So there are a lot of things in the growth category that will allow you to scale the business that's going to give you that expansion opportunity. Systems are one of them. The other thing with systems too is when you have systems and you have buy-in and you hire someone or part-time or whatever, you have the ability to delegate more things because you have a systematic way of doing it. Now, I'm not talking about creating minions or or robotic ways of doing things. The human factor is something I take into consideration of everything that I talk about. But if I create something that allows you access to information and you don't have to come ask me all the time, that creates efficiency. Quit being a fucking easy button. Yeah, we also, so Weld.com, we just launched this app. It's called Weld, which is very on the nose of what we do, but it has an educational side that we're trying to help employers if they don't want to train someone on how to do a new process, so to say. There's all these educational videos that will teach you like how to go through a process, right? Schools are really important and it's cool, but most of the schools just teach you how to do a process, right? It's we're going to teach you how to pass one sort of test or we're going to teach you one process and then you can go get a job in that process. Online learning is huge right now. And Mm -hmm. Just being able to automate that aspect of your training is huge, especially for a business. I'm not really business savvy. I will put that out. Mm-hmm. Like, I love doing business, but I might not be that savvy yet. Mm-hmm. All these things that you're saying, they're things that are mind-blowing to me because I'm like, that makes so much sense. And I've been getting in my own way all this time. You know, this is not only a podcast <laughs> interview trying to learn what you do, but this is like a free coaching aspect, too. <laughs> That's, That's my conversation. Says. That's how every conversation I have. With somebody, people. somebody will ask me about the coaching, and I'll 
point him in Josh's direction. And then, dude, I fucking talked to Josh last night. And you know, I got all this stuff I got to work on. I, know, I got to yeah, rethink yeah. my whole life right now, you know? <laughs> I do have that effect on yeah. people. But that, that's what he's there for. He's good at it. And I, like I said, proof's in the pudding. I mean, go back through, follow our entire journey throughout our podcast and see what, dude, I go back and I listen to it. And I'm like, dude, my mentality was off. And then you look at the evolution of it because the things that I'm going to go come back in three years and listen to what we're doing today. And it's, I'm going to be like, damn, I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Because <laughs> as things get bigger and you deal with a whole different scope, as the jobs get bigger and the business gets bigger, the teams get more advanced. Because that's the thing is that when you're really trying to grow a healthy business, you're growing your people at the same time too. Because yeah. it's not just us. And we can't be the only ones to grow. The team has to be able to grow to keep up with everything because we want them to make the most amount of money. We're not just going to throw a bunch of warm bodies in there and a bunch of people that don't get along. We literally have coaching sessions with our team. We send our leadership to to Josh to go sit down and do one-on-one coaching with him. And then we bring him in for coaching on our team meeting sometimes too. Just like, hey, do you come down and do a presentation on this is what's going on in the business? Cool. You'll come down and do a presentation with them. And it's been, especially guys that are just coming into the industries, they're never exposed to this personal development or personal growth type stuff. It's like, just grab your fucking hood and go work. Yeah, go well. Why wouldn't we want them to expand as people? Why wouldn't we want them to get better? Because the better they do, the better we all do. And that's something I talked to Tyler Sassy. He's the owner of Western Welding Academy out of Wyoming. Wyoming. And he said that the biggest things in society he sees lacking in the trades is leadership, like what you're saying. I feel like in the schools, leadership training should be part of any education. You know, everyone mm-hmm. should have to take a leadership course. You would have a huge market for trade schools, you know, just going in and coaching people in the leadership mm-hmm. aspect, like mm-hmm. just being like, hey, we need to teach them how to be leaders. Yeah. But also, once they understand what it means to lead, that's how you understand what it means to follow. And it's the, that top, that number one position is not for everybody. It's one of the most emotionally and mentally taxing positions that exist. Josh says it all the time. Leadership is the hardest thing you will ever do. You know, dealing with other people and getting things to flow and having an understanding of everybody. It's difficult. Even if you just give them a bite-sized chunk of what it means to be a leader and run them through some sort of a training, they're going to be like, oh shit, that's why the leadership wants me to do this. Oh, that makes sense. In order to lead, you must be able to follow. In order to follow, you must understand what leadership is. And I think that Josh brings that to light a lot, especially with our team meetings. Like It gives the guys a a much better idea of what it means to do what we do. I am actually a leadership coach. I'm just a business. So I tell people I'm a leadership coach, but we're going to talk about operations. And that's so by proxy, we get into the business aspect of things because the business is a living, breathing entity and, and we need to pay attention to it. But leadership is my, that's where, that's my focus is developing leaders because that instructor is hundred percent right. It is the single greatest missing entity in the skilled traits. And that's effective leadership. Why do you think that is? I think, no, man. That's a long line of fucking... <laughs> no, I, so be, to try to give you the short answer is the management styles have not evolved with time. 70s, 80s, even early 90s, management was leadership. And it was, you have a goal, you have a result, you drive people to meet numbers, and that's how businesses operated. Union or non-union, doesn't matter. That was just the concept of business. As time has went on, people have evolved. Accessibility to people, okay, I'm holding my phone up. Accessibility to people is far greater. The need for relationship development is greater today than it ever has been. Leadership is about developing relationships. It's about being able to how to connect and communicate with people. It's about understanding how people are hardwired. It's about understanding 
See, I had a, a meeting before Nate walked in here today, and the business owner is just an absolute rock star. I said, do you know what your job as a leader is? Create opportunity. Your job as a leader is to create opportunity. It is not to give people anything. You're not obligated to give people things. Your job is to create opportunity. So that concept, that mindset has not evolved because if you look at the relationship gap between the gray beards and the new generation coming in. And so I was raised in the trades by the gray beards, by the baby boomers. They don't know how to connect because they don't know how to communicate. They are the breed as I was raised, you show up, you put your tools on, you shut your mouth and you do the work. And that expectation is still there. The reality of it is far gone. Yeah. So just like I said, with the golden rule of business, see that applies to your team as well. That's not just about going out in the market, which the reason this company is called the tradesman experience is because everything that we do is about creating the best experience, whether that's for your team or whether that's for your client whether that's for the market itself. It's about creating the best experience. Management doesn't create the best experience. Management creates metric-based expectations that they manage based on your performance. There's no relationship there. There's no connection. It's not leadership. It's not leadership. So I think it's missing because as tools have evolved, as the industries have evolved, the style of managing people, I'm using air quotes, managing people has not evolved at the same capacity. And that's a big thing that everyone keeps talking about is this new generation, Gen Z. How do we connect to them? You got to speak their language. I feel like that's a big disconnect is that, you know, what you were saying, the gray beards. I like how you say that because everybody has beards. And <laughs> I know. We all look, but you're saying the gray beards, they communicate differently than the not gray beards. And then us bearded ones communicate <laughs> different than the people with no beards yet. And trying to find that line of communication, I feel like that is a huge thing. People need to learn how to fucking listen. That's the problem is that when you're on that upper end of things, you want to talk and be like, no, this is what you need to know. They'll fucking ask you. You just got to listen. And it's one of the hardest goddamn mm -hmm. things to do because it's like, if you would just pay attention to what I'm saying to you, you would understand. <laughs> but then you're not reciprocating. You're not listening to what their needs are. And then the thing is, these markets are so wide open for everybody. It's like, you don't, you can't treat people like shit and expect them to stick around. Exactly. The retention aspect too is another thing people are like, oh, it's the great resignation. No, it's the people not wanting to do work for people like you. It's not wanting to work in this type of environment. Yeah. They want to be treated like a person, not just another number showing up to work. People don't leave jobs. They leave leaders. They're going to go do the same job somewhere else, right? That is a good quote, though. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> You're just a box of wisdom over there, man. The box is about the nicest thing yeah. I've ever been called. Yeah. I was thinking garbage cans. <laughs> What's at the bottom of the garbage disposal? That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I've been on this journey for 10 years, this personal growth journey. And to say that I've been obsessed is putting it lightly. And <laughs> the thousands and thousands of hours that I have in listening to podcasts and information and reading books and conferences. I'm only telling you that because I appreciate the compliment and I'm just a conduit for this information. Our show is a conduit for the information. Yes, we develop some of the structure to it so our audience can receive it, understand it and implement it. But being intentional about developing myself is what has really provided me the opportunity for this conversation, for this podcast, for the coaching is something I do now because I deal 
so many things wrong and not just wrong by a little, like wrong with a bunch of dollar signs. I lost a multimillion dollar company because I wasn't willing to have hard conversations. I didn't understand the expectations. I didn't draw. I didn't know what my non-negotiables were. You know, so that was a very valuable experience that I now have and that I got to learn from. One of my personal missions is to equip people to be the best version of themselves and to be introspective in a way that's humbling and vulnerable and to be able to ask themselves the hard questions so they can work to develop themselves because that's the best version that everyone deserves of you, right? Is the best version. And as Nate says, that's the best, that's the version of you that you deserve. And me being on this journey, now I get to play a role where I get to teach. I still learn. I read and listen every single day. I have coaches and mentors that I talk to, but now I get to play a role where I get to teach and share that information with people. We've gone down some really deep, uh, that's my favorite part about the podcast is that I come into it with an idea of where I think it's going to go, but it usually goes somewhere totally different and a lot deeper than I could ever even imagine. (laughs) And I really, the whole aspect of the coaching side, just hearing about your journeys together growing, that's awesome. And I think that that aspect of your podcast, I need to go back and follow this journey. I need a long road trip, you know. But I think something that people really need to understand, especially if they want to delve into this side of it and they want to pursue coaching is that you got to understand that it's never done. There's no finish line with any of this. You're either growing or you're dying. And the thing is that your expectations and your understanding of all of this is going to evolve constantly and you're going to have to reevaluate. And we did coaching with Josh for what, a year? The first time around? A year and a half. Yeah. So we did about a year and a half and then we didn't coach with him for year year and then we started to reevaluate that we've doubled revenue every year since we've been in business and it's it was like oh shit it's starting to get out of control we need and then to talk again to realize that and brought him back in it's not it if you get into the coaching, it's not a lifelong commitment to coaching. Like you have people who graduate out all the time, you know, they'll spend six, eight months in the coaching and then it's just time to go implement shit and go do the work. He's not going to hold your hand and do it for you. So you need that time to go implement. And then when you're ready, you go back. If you want to go back or if you think you can handle it, you can fucking handle it. So it's, I want people to understand that aspect of this is that this is all at your own pace. This is whatever you want to do. And if you really want to kickstart your business, get a coach. It's the same thing as having a teacher, a mentor, all these words, they mean the same thing. It's people that propel you to be better and to learn. That's all a teacher can do is help you learn. They can't do it for you. Like when I help people learn how to weld, I could show them and I could sit there and I could be like, you're going too slow, you're going too fast, your angle's off. But until you discover that capability in yourself, you're never going to really grasp it. And I feel like that's what coaching is a huge benefit to people because it helps unlock these skills you've had the whole time. You got to know you have them and it might take a little polishing to to get it there. Everybody can do it. Garrett Daniels was on our podcast a few weeks ago with R&D Fabworks. And I think he is one of the best examples to what you're saying. He had the information. He just didn't know how to structure it in a way that complimented him and benefited his company. And one of the quotes I always tell people, I said, you have to collect the dots before you connect the dots. And he was a great example of that. He had all of this data collected. He had all of this experience collected. And when I started working with him, his hyperdrive, by the way, was a tremendous factor. But I worked with him for a year and 
He graduated out. He put the work in. And the year before I started working with him and the year after, as a single owner operator, he 10X'd his revenue by doing the same work. Yeah. A lot of the shit was stuff he already knew. He just didn't know how to, he just didn't know how to structure it and implement it. Yeah. Because well, he, he was on the MFCEO project for years. You've been plus. listening to it for yeah. years. And then you got on our podcast. And then it's, I think it's a little harder to get a hold of Andy Priscilla than it is you. So. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> That's awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And one thing I always try to, you know, it's a welding podcast. And I always try to leave the episode asking what your advice would be to help somebody succeed in welding or, but in this aspect, just trades in general. What is your biggest advice to help somebody get to that next level that they're not currently at? Open your ears. And because, dude, the thing is, the, the amount of shit that I've learned in all of these industries, I've learned through subtle words. It hasn't been some profound revelation other than listening to fucking Josh get up on soapbox, <laughs> but listening to the people that have been there for a long time and they're a little more soft spoken, I've learned the greatest things on the face of the planet from those people. And it was just some subtle in passing thing and it clicked. And he's like, oh shit. When I'm a loud, boisterous, over the top motherfucker, but for me to actually listen to the old timers, they got all the, they, they understand things at a conceptual level. And that's what matters the most is understanding the concept of what it is you're doing. You can have all the fancy equipment in the world, but if you don't know how and why it works, it's fucking useless. So just listen to that, those soft spoken old timers. I would tell people quit being afraid to discover yourself. The skilled trades. Man, when you put someone in the trades that's operating in a position that complements their strengths, they just fucking soar. Because we joke, I am not a welder. I can't weld anything. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you anything about welding. In the HVAC industry, my strength, so I think what I mean by don't, you know, don't be afraid to discover yourself. Know what you're good at. What are your gifts? What are you what are your strengths? My strength is problem solving. It and that boded very well for me in the HVAC industry, and it works well for me in the coaching because I can identify a problem and then work to create a solution. That's my gift. My gift is not welding. My gift was not fabricating ductwork. You have to understand what your strengths are and then work really hard to develop your skill set that's going to create the opportunity for you to work in that strength zone. Those very wise words <laughs> from a very wise box over there. Oh, trash can. Oh, this has been awesome, guys. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag, every month there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member, so make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.